when he's challenging, which he is right now, backing up is not the best move. He's coming here now. Van, we're not challenging you. We're not challenging Van. Okay, you and I are down on our knees. It takes animal passion and a whole lot more to spend every summer living in the midst of wild brown bears and Alaskan sea wolves. Welcome to the Animal Passion Podcast, a program about people who, by choice or by chance, have committed their lives to protecting animals. I'm Laurie Hood, president and founder of Aliqua Animal Refuge. Today, I'm talking to Wolf and Bear Whispers, Buck Wild and Esther Gossweiler. That was Buck's voice you heard in the opening clip addressing Van. Van is an approaching 900-pound dominant male Alaskan brown bear who isn't happy. He thinks Buck and his camera crew have stolen his dinner. In this remarkable video excerpt, Buck does the opposite of what most of us have been told to do with bear encounters. He and the crew speak calmly to Van, and when Van keeps charging, they get down on their knees. I'll let Buck and Esther explain what happens and what they've learned from thousands of interactions with wild bears and wolves after I introduce them. Before becoming an Alaskan wildlife expert, Buck's CIA counter-espionage work focused on the expression of emotions in humans and animals. Esther contacted Buck to help realize her dream of working with bears and wolves. Together, they're making a documentary film to raise awareness and advocate for Alaskan sea wolves. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Hi, Thank you. Thank you for being with me. So happy to meet you. I've read about you and the Alaska Animal Refuge. So I'm impressed and it's nice to talk to you. Really? Very excited. Very excited to talk to you as well. And I actually wanted to start with you, Esther, because I read a story and I want to know if it's true. From what I understand, you met Buck in a bar, accepted his offer to travel to remote Alaska, and you soon found yourself crawling around in a cold marsh with 20 pounds of camera <laughs> gear and surrounded by a pack of wolves. Is that really what happened? In fact, we met in the wild. We met in the wild and we decided to document the wolf's life, which we heard howling around our camp at night. Oh. Was Buck working with bears and you were there on another mission? I was seeing Great Bear Stakeout on TV. I was always determined to come to Alaska and photograph the wild animals. And there was Buck Wild. And I thought with this guy, I would dare to go out there. I spent a week with Buck in the wild and with the bears. Finally, we ended up at the bar with this arrangement of doing a documentary about the wolves. I know, Buck, you had this amazing job in facial recognitions and working for clients like the CIA. How does that work when you one day walk into your office and, and tell your boss that you're leaving and you're going to wild Alaska? They literally told me to my face that I was crazy. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <laughs> for, for leaving such a great job, I gave it all up to go live with brown bears. I don't take supervision well, and I really don't like cubicles. There's no sunshine. And I needed some fresh air at that point in my life. It was something I had always wanted to do. I'd seen bears on a few vacations to Glacier National Park in Montana, and uh, they sort of captured my imagination. The experience you got from learning to read people's body language, how is it different reading a bear than it is reading a human? It's almost completely different at an outward observational level. Bears don't have very much in terms of facial expression, and so much of human emotions are conveyed through facial expression. And that was really the focus that we had at the CIA was to interrogate Soviet spies or Chinese spies or whatever using uh, facial recognition technology that I was working on. With the bears, it really comes down to body language. You have to tune into the body language of the species that you're working with. As 
you would recognize, of course, working with a horse is different than working with a, a primate, et cetera. Absolutely. And in my line of work, whether they're prey or predator makes such a huge difference in the way that we interact with them. Yes, it brings another layer of consideration, safety into the work and the endeavors. And the same applies, in my opinion, to a lesser degree to the wolves. We sort of had the schedule to get up at maybe 5.30, 6-ish. We saw this wolf. We just stayed there and filmed and photographed this wolf. And finally, we sort of went back to the camp and we saw a bear with two cops coming along. And this bear with two cops went to the beach and we set up our cameras and filmed this bear mother. Then from the beach, she came back to the tundra, laid herself down and nursed her little cops. And we were just there and we were just filming and photographing. And this mother bear, she didn't care at all about us. She was so much at ease and she was right in front of us. And by the time the bear trolled off and the little ones went off to play around, we had a glance at the watch and it was 12.30 and Buck was still in his pajamas. <laughs> I love it. That was fantastic. We forgot everything. Breakfast was soaking in the camp. The coffee got cold. We just got up and did our work. It sounds like that the perfect the start of a morning to me. I'm tempted to tell the story of the first brown bear that really gave me a scary encounter. I was by myself on Kodiak Island to photograph brown bears. And this was about 30 years ago. So I, as they say I was as green as grass. I was photographing this mother in a small stream catching salmon very handily and eating them. And she would eat the best part, crack the skull and eat the brains. And she would throw the, the rest of the salmon up onto the bank behind her where there were two cute little cubs and they would fight over the salmon. And I was photographing all this action. And all of a sudden, the body language of this mother bear changed. Her focus switched from salmon and she had been a ignoring me to me. And she stood up in that water and ran at me at a full charge. She probably covered 50 yards in two or three heartbeats. She was standing over me, eight feet tall, looking down at me. I could reach out and touch her if I wanted to. And she was roaring so loud that it shook my cavity of my body. And I was just scared to death. Then the mother bear dropped down onto all fours right in front of me. And when that happened, her nose almost hit my belly. And I thought for sure this bear is going to eat me. And she takes one step back so that she could give a hand signal like this. And unbeknownst to me, she had a third cub that was behind me. And that's what her reaction was all about. I was not aware that I had been between a mother and a lost cub that she had been separated from. She reprimanded that bear by swatting it around and literally hit it and knocked it into the water. And it went swimming across the stream back to the other cubs. And that mother bear turned its back to me, walked back into the stream and went about fishing like nothing had ever happened. It illuminated a lot of things about, you know, what makes a mother bear tick for me. I read about you just adamantly saying to never run. When you encounter a bear like that, or you have an experience like that, to never run. Was that going through your mind the whole time you were standing there? This was a great question. And it certainly is an axiom that I live by. And I make that point 
point very strongly when I talk to audiences. There are runners and there are what I would call feeners. You know what feening is? I don't. Feening is something that an animal does when they're afraid they freeze. And I tend to do that. Rather than run, I just tend to freeze up. And then hopefully my wits come back to me quickly enough that I can navigate my way through the encounter. I have never been tempted to run and it has worked for me. You, you would not believe, Lori, on a typical summer from May to October in this wilderness area, it is easy for me as a bear guide and photographer to have a thousand close encounters a year. When you bring people with you and it's their first time to encounter this, do you ever worry that they're going to not listen to you and run and cause a dangerous situation? I really give a safety lecture, especially the first time, and I reinforce the two points that are very easy to remember. Don't approach a wild animal because that can evoke a defensive attack. And don't run or scream or panic and lose your mind for any reason, no matter what happens, because that will evoke a predatory attack. You gently talk to it. You almost talk to it in a baby voice, very calm. And that's exactly what I do. But you're doing it with a very large bear that's walking towards you. I, I found that very fascinating. The soothing talking, not only in my mind, calms the animal, but it keeps me calm too. And in those kinds of encounter situations, it's very important. Some of this stuff is somewhat counterintuitive to a lot of people. I was very impressed when I met Esther several years ago, her ability to handle herself and quite frankly, to trust me uh, <laughs> in the, the guidance that I was giving. She learned and, and she had a good amount of respect and a little bit of fear from the animals, which is important. She was a perfect choice to work with me on this wolf project because I did not want to be put on camera with these wolves as an expert who's been doing this for 30 years. I wanted to put Esther, a relative newbie, actually mm -hmm. an absolute newbie on camera because I wanted to make the point to viewers that you can learn this too. It's not rocket science, but you have to abide by certain basic principles. And if you do, anyone can learn to navigate their way through a wildlife encounter. You're doing a very fine dance that could get dangerous. Your job really is to gain the trust of that animal. And part of that is not losing your cool or panicking. And as you can see in some of the footage that we've got of Esther close to these wolves, they jump around her and do lunges and dances. And it would be easy to lose your cool. Esther, so is that what you do? For me, it's all about the energy. If you approach an animal and you're all keyed up and your energy's there, it, they mirror that. I always try to get very calm before I go into those situations. Mm -hmm. Is that what you do as well? I think because I'm keeping my head on taking pictures, I'm completely focused on another thing. I'm calm. It's absolutely true. I talk to the animals. I talk. And what Buck says is true because it keeps me calm too. And because I'm focused on my work, it's also the energy is led in another direction. Buck always says, keep the head in the game. And that's what it is. Be calm, concentrate on what your goal is, what you want to achieve. Just try to be settled. You have to understand the animal. You have to know how he communicates, but we never approach an animal. We let the animals come to us. We also move very openly in the area. We want them to know that we are there. We don't follow animals. If they want to come, fine, great, fantastic. If they don't, we are a bit sad. <laughs> but 
but we don't follow because it's it's their will. The common misconception is that you're supposed to be big, you're supposed to be loud, you're supposed to show them that you're bigger than they are. Why is that not true? It depends on what the situation is. You as the person need to have your head in the game enough to interpret what the motive of that animal's approach is to you. If that animal's approach to you is seemingly predatory, which in our world of bears and wolves is extremely rare. In all the thousands and thousands of bear and wolf encounters I've had, maybe I've had two or three predatory approaches. And in those rare situations, then you want to do what you're told to do by some of the lay information out there. Stand up, scream, put your hands up. Two things wrong with that message. If the animal is just curious, hopefully, and in most cases, you'll just scare it away. It could instigate an attack. And that's why in certain situations, I don't advocate screaming and yelling at wild animals. They can get freaked. If they think it's their best option to attack you, then they will. You might be in a situation where the animal did not have in its mind to be predatory, but you intimidate it. Egg on a fight, so to speak, just like with a person. You ask for the fight and you're liable to get one. I always believe in taking the easy way out and trying to talk the animal down rather than trying to bully it around. A quick pause here to let you know that Aliqua is a nonprofit no-kill animal refuge in the Florida Panhandle. Grants, donations, dedicated volunteers, and a small, terrific staff have helped us save over 25,000 animals. Each year, we place 1,200 rescues in safe second-chance homes. We work with everything from emus to exotic birds. We have the largest active volunteer network in the Southeast. We have a new state-of-the-art 100-acre facility and a 700-acre native species preserve. Aliqua advocates for animals on the local, state, and national level. To find out how to donate and get involved, visit aliqua.org. To see Buck and Esther in their amazing footage, check out the video version on YouTube's Animal Passion podcast channel. Hit the like button, click subscribe, and leave comments. All three of those simple things will help us keep doing the work we do. Now, back to the interview. In our line of work, we're rescued. We work with the local sheriff's department. We go in cruelty cases. We go in hoarding cases. We go in situations where we know absolutely nothing about these potentially very dangerous dogs, but we have to approach them because we have to get them out of the situation. With your experience on body language of humans and animals, putting that into my line of work, is there anything you can recommend that could help in what we do in our rescue attempts? Now, your job as a rescuer is you have approach. And so your skills as an animal rescuer have to be finely tuned. You have to take it seriously. For the sake of your own safety, you should carry some kind of a deterrent in case things go really bad. You have to play all of your cards as an expert in body language to mitigate that animal. And just like Esther and I with our wolf pack, you have to win that's trust. You have to gain the confidence of that animal or it's going to fight. It's my least favorite favorite story to tell, Lori. My very least favorite story. A man got killed by a bear. A mother and two cubs came into my camp one morning. I heard a bear out of my sight. I only saw the cubs give a vocal command, a hoof, huff like that, that bears do. And, and the cubs just disappeared. So I put my breakfast up in a tree in a food cache. It was a backcountry wilderness campsite. Grabbed my camera gear and headed in the direction that the bear was going. And very quickly, I discovered a pool of blood 
blood in the trail and a pack and then other signs that there had been a very violent attack just right in front of me, but out of my sight. You know, I ended up finding the body and eventually by the end of the day, the Park Service gets there. The scariest part, I guess, for me was the two rangers and I, as we were coming off of the unfortunate victim's body and thinking about where we were going to spend the night, knowing that we were not going to be able to get out of there, we had a full-on charge by that mother and two cubs came at us full steam. There had ranger on my left and, and right shoulders, each with guns. And I remember the lead ranger, Charlie Logan, said, beat up, safety off, yell, stop bear, stop bear. So this was the situation to tell the bears to stop. And the bears are coming like freight trains. They're just coming straight at us. And we're just screaming our heads off. And to Charlie Logan's credit, the head ranger, he never gave the order to fire. And the bears, true to bear nature and a charge like that, did stop right in front of us and skirted into the trees around us. So I guess, you know, the point is, is that those who say that animals are dangerous have a valid point. Animals are capable of killing a person and you do need to live by these very simple rules when you're dealing with wildlife. Don't approach an animal, especially when it's on food. That's what the rangers and I were doing when we went in to recover that body. And don't run. That's what we didn't do as those bears were charging us. Either one of those things could have gotten us killed. It's a super sad story and it just reiterates that you just have to respect these animals and respect where they're coming from. I'm so glad that that didn't deter you from your work, that you continued on and still advocate for these incredible animals. So thank you for that. Oh, you can ask Esther. I reinforce how serious it is every day Mm. when we're in the field. That being said, with your current Alaskan Seawolf projects, one of the stories that really fascinated me was a pack of wolves came in with their cubs and lay down with you in the camp. That's pretty fascinating to me because we have a program in prison where we take dogs and we have prisoners work with them and they end up becoming service dogs or better adopted or whatnot. But we take all the dogs before they go into the prison and we form a pack before they go in. And the key thing we look for, and sometimes it takes hours, is for everybody to lay down. So is that how you felt when the wolves came in? Did you feel like you were part of their pack? Esther and I had spent a lot of time, weeks and weeks and weeks, much building individual relationships with members of the pack. And it's not like we sought them out one at a time. They come over. I really think when those wolves brought those pups out to us as a pack for the first time, it was a definite communication to us that we had won their trust. And they were just totally at ease. Eventually, two of the pups did come over very close to the point where they could touch us. And the alpha male and female were maybe 10 or 15 yards back. Uh, we were photographing. The alpha male did get upset, but what he did, because the pups had left the pack and come to us, he gave a yelp and picked up a stick and heads back to the forest where the den site is. And the four pups very obediently followed him in single file. And the rest of the pack, including the alpha female, laid there and slept. As a matter of fact, at about that point, she rolled over onto her back and laid, you know, like dogs do uh, with all of her four 
four paws up in the air. So if that's not winning trust, I don't, I don't know how to interpret that body language any other way. I can't even imagine a greater honor. What an experience. Tell our audience how they are different from other wolves. They're just fantastic hunters in, in sea and they're fantastic swimmers. They swim for miles to offshore island and, and get their prey there sea lions or sea otters or whatever. Bakanavi collect samples of scat and hair and things and send them to be analyzed to find out how are they related to other wolves on the other side of the Alaskan range. Are they endangered and do people hunt these wolves? To answer your question, there are only small portions of the sea wolves range on the east coast of the peninsula facing the Gulf of Alaska. That's really the only place the Alaska sea wolf lives that are protected. But like everywhere else in Alaska, outside of National Park, these wolves are ruthlessly hunted by trophy hunting and game management practices uh, that are authorized by the state of Alaska. Some of the wolves have a tough life uh, because they're, they're hunted from the air, from machine guns and, and airplanes, from poisoning. They're being really assaulted quite aggressively. Uh, not everyone sees a wolf the way Esther and I do, put it simply. And what we hope to do with Wild mm -hmm. to See yeah. and with our film, and especially with Esther on her hands and knees, mm -hmm. taking those beautiful photographs, people get to see, well, if this woman can do it, maybe all the wolves out there aren't out to get us. Uh, it's a small contribution, but it's a contribution that no one else is making. And that's why we're doing it. Yeah, I think we really hope that can evoke sympathy for this animal and also an understanding for their nature and maybe people sort of come even to love these elegant creatures we show on pictures and on the film because we really believe that they need advocates. Let's move on to a lightning round. Animal passion heroes. Mine is Buckwild. Oh, wow. I would have to say David Attenborough. I've had the pleasure of working with David on two BBC projects. Of course, he's a real gentleman and has made great contributions to natural history education around the world. Favorite wild animal. Favorite wild animal, wolves. Yeah, of course. <laughs> wolves for me too, uh, and because they are so challenging. Esther, most memorable animal moment you've ever experienced? A wolf encounter where it could have gone wrong there, but uh, it didn't. But it would be another bear encounter that I had a mother bear had her cubs were charged by a big male bear right in front of me that I had the cameras on and the cubs ran to my left off my left shoulder the mother came over and literally put her head under my tripod and between my legs and then in my face just frothing her hot breath and I thought I was going to die. Esther I don't know if you had a high school yearbook what was the inscription if you had one? I had a yearbook and one one teacher wrote in it, there is always something to wonder about. What about you, Buck? I'm so old, I don't have a clue. I don't even remember <laughs> going to high school. Last question. Have you ever felt, uh-oh, my animal passion has gone too far? Not yet. This wolf project, we are committing our lives and our life savings to this thing. Mm. You know, is funding this an issue? How do you find funding for something like this? And is there anybody you want to say thank you to for helping you on this journey? Uh, actually, Lori, I'd like to thank Cool Clothes uh, for outfitting my Alaska projects. It's been about 10 years now. They make great gear. I'm smiling because I have my cool pants on right now. <laughs> <laughs> They're my favorite line of clothing. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for being with me and thank you for the incredible work you do. Thank you, pleasure. Lori, very much. Good luck. 
luck with your animal rehab work on there, Lori. The Animal Passion Podcast is produced by Hit Fire Media in association with Aliqua and funded by grants and donations. To donate and join our support team, visit aliqua.org. A-L-A-Q-U-A dot org. For more information about Buck and Esther's Alaskan Seawolf documentary, go to wild2c.com. That's W-I-L-D, the number two, the letter C.com. I'm Laurie Hood. Thanks for listening.